And we stand in honor of God's word as we receive that tradition through uh, Ezra the priest in the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 45. Are you guys up for that? You're up. Let's do it. Okay. Once the, let's, let's go ahead and read that whole psalm. Again, you know, so we see the context of the flow of the entire psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Give glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever the words which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do, do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Israel came, also came into Egypt, and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. He increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom, whom he had chosen. He performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did not rebel against his word. He turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. Their land abounded with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came swarms of flies and lice in all their territory. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck their vines also and their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. 
He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles and they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. Father, we do thank you for this this psalm and we pray that as we go through it tonight that you'll give us understanding. Lord, understanding of what this is all about and especially, Lord, understanding of how it will apply to our own hearts and our lives. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Might he give, them, might he give to us, Lord, the, uh, the wisdom and discernment that we need. And so, Lord, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. Well, as you guys can see, this is uh, one of the longer psalms that we've been going through. We, we were going through some shorter psalms. I mean, 10, 12, 13 verses. Now they're more like 35, 40, uh, 45 on this one. 38 was the, 35 was the last one. And Psalm 106 is a bit longer. They just go back and forth. But wait till we get to Psalm 119, <laughs> right? 172 verses. I guarantee you we will not get through that in one night. But we are going to get through this one tonight. Now, there's no inscription here in this psalm. Um, but we have every reason to believe that it was written by King David. Uh, this is a historical psalm in the sense of, in, in the content of the psalm, there's a lot of history that is shared. you know, And just the idea that this is all shared for us or with us written down for us that we might remember the works of God and in doing so see his faithfulness. That's really at the crux of it, to see the faithfulness of God. And so, and and the reason that we say that that we have every reason to believe it's King David, well, for one thing, you know, the the places where we see the praises, the, the first several verses, the last several verses, it it just sounds like King David. It reads like, like King David for one thing. But if we look in the first Chronicles chapter 15, we see that in that chapter, King David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The following chapter, 16 of 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking Corinthians, Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 16, the first three verses read this way. So they brought the ark, of the, uh, the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. That's just to celebrate the, the, the great moment that, that, that they were uh, experiencing, that they were uh, going through at that point. Then we see in the seventh verse of that same chapter, First Chronicles 16, 7, it says, On that day, David first delivered this psalm 
into the hand of Asaph, his brethren, to thank the Lord. And then the following verses there, which we don't have. I, I, I didn't copy those for you to show you, but verses 8 through 22 are exactly the same as verses 1 through 15 here in Psalm 105. So it, it is very clear, really, that, that David wrote Psalm 105 at that particular time. Now, the rest of the psalm there in First Chronicles 16 does not match the rest of this psalm beginning in verse 16. But interestingly, though, that psalm in uh, uh, First, uh, First Chronicles uh, 16, we, we see a lot of phrases, several stanzas that are very familiar with to us from other psalms that we've read, and it would seem that that David wrote that psalm on that occasion, and it was a springboard for other psalms to be written as well, at least the inclusion of some phrases with some of the other psalms. So it's just interesting to see that. Here in Psalm 105, after verse 15, we, we, we see that David goes on to declare how God had faithfully kept his covenant, protecting them and delivering them from harm, while even executing his promise to bring them into the promised land. We don't see them coming into the promised land with this psalm, but certainly we see them in the uh, uh, wilderness headed in that direction. And so Psalm 105, as we look at these first six verses, we see some things that are very uh, familiar to us, of course. Um, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Again, phrases that are common with the song, uh, with the Psalms. Uh, make known his deeds among the peoples. You know, um, as we as we go through this, I'm not, I'm not going to read the entire uh, stanza to you, but but look at that last uh, that, that last verse, verse six. We see him saying, "O seed of Abraham, his servant; you children of Jacob, his chosen ones." We see that he's addressing it to the seed of Abraham. He's addressing it to the Israelites. You know, for, for us, the way that we might receive this would be something like uh, reading those first five verses, you know, and then saying, oh, children of God, his church, his saints, his followers, his redeemed ones, his chosen ones, because it's for us as well as his people, not just simply for them Now, in terms of the deeds that they did, of course, the, the deeds that God did for the children of Israel, they are highlighted here in this psalm. But we can recount other deeds that he's done for us. In fact, in that first verse, make known his deeds among the peoples. Just this past Sunday, we were talking about how it, it is so good for us to share our personal testimony with other people. Make known his deeds. Make known to other people what he's done for us. You know, I, I think that's a very, very important thing because, you know, again, as I was sharing Sunday, you know, people can't argue with that. If you're being honest about your testimony, th then people who knew you before you came to Christ, whomever that may be, and particularly family members, they will say, yeah, you were that way. And yeah, I have seen a change. You know, uh, they, they would agree with that if we have endured. You know, sometimes it can take a while. It can take a few years. You know, um, when Jeanette and I got saved back in 
1973. We've been walking with the Lord for over 50 years now. Um, it's just a blessing to, to see that. But when we, when, when, when we were saved, um, and we were sharing with her folks for nine years before they came to the Lord. It was nine years. Um, by some standards, that's a short time because I've heard things like 25 years and beyond that. You know, people who came to faith and, and loved ones um, did not come to the Lord for, you know, decades after that. You know, and uh, I've seen in marriages where one member of the marriage, either a husband or wife, and it seems, it seems usually it's, it's a wife whose husband does not yet come to faith and, and for, again, decades they don't come to faith for, for whatever reason. And it's a hard thing. It can be a hard thing, especially within a marriage, especially within a marriage. I'm so grateful to the Lord that, that when he saved me first, it was just a three-week period of time before, Je before Jesus entered into uh, my bride's heart. Just a three weeks. And as I've ministered over the years and seen you know, families, married couples, and how that hasn't happened for, for several Oh, just increases my thanks to the Lord. And so I do give thanks to the Lord. But that, that's what he tells us to do. Give thanks to him. You know, we don't have time to look at all the places in God's word in which he commands us to be thankful. It's a very common command of the Lord. And this is a command. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. It's in the imperative. And we're commanded by God to give thanks, to be thankful what he's done. And it's necessary for us to, to do that in order to maintain a heart and attitude of, of, of joy. Because if we refuse to give thanks, if we forget to give thanks, then we're forgetting the things that he's done for which we are thankful. And we can begin to complain about things. We can begin to have kind of a sour attitude. You know, just, just griping about things that are going on in our lives, forgetting the good things that God has done. Forgetting the good things that God has done. And so let, let's, let's be careful about that, uh, 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 about those things. And, and just a question that I'd want to ask you, really myself as well, all of us in, 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 in this area of, of, of thankfulness as we receive this command and to call upon his name. Um, and let's make this a personal thing. Just ask yourself this question. Is my heart overwhelmed with thankfulness to my Lord when I consider the love and grace he's poured out on me in delivering me from my sin? the amount of love and grace that he has shown to each one of us. Let's never forget that. Let's never move away from that. Or we will find ourselves like the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 as a church or as people who leave our first love. I think there's a danger of that always if we do not continue to give thanks. So we see verses first, uh, verses one and two, uh, applying to really 
what we talked about this past Sunday. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Talk the, all his wondrous works. You know, and um, again, the people of God commanded to share with all the peoples, other nations, other peoples who were among them. For us, that's, that's not only sharing testimony with believers, with our brothers and sisters, but also with those who have not yet come to Christ. And sharing with them what God has done for us, what God has done for you. I think parents need to be sharing with their children what God has, has done for us. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, our it can be kind of, well, what's the right way to put it? We can be ashamed of what we were before we came to Jesus. And we also don't want our kids to be thinking, really, you were that way, you're not that way now. And then it's like, well, look what happened. Look what happened to dad. Yeah, I mean, he was fine. I can do that too. I'll be fine. You know, we want to be careful about that kind of a thing. Yet, yet, they need to know God's power. So pray about how you'll handle that. But do it. Share with them God's goodness. Share with them your testimony. Share with them that uh, that part of your life in which you encountered God in a very, very real way. And look at the rest of the, the, the verbs here. In fact, these verbs that we find in these first uh, five verses, you see the verbs give thanks, call upon, make known, sing, talk, glory, rejoice, speak, remember. These are all verbs. These are all uh, verbs that, that are in the imperative. They are commands. And this is a part of our walk with the Lord, isn't it? Doing these things. And, and so as we consider it, you know, singing, him, singing songs, psalms to him, glorying in his holy name, rejoicing because we seek the Lord, seeking his, his, his face, seeking strength, uh, for forevermore, uh, remembering his works that he's done, his wonders, his judgments, and so forth. Let's make sure that we are taking part in all of those things. In verses 7 to 15, we see basically David writing about the fact that God keeps his covenant. He is the Lord our God. First of all, he is acknowledging his God by his name. As you know, there in verse 7, when we see the word Lord there in all capital letters, that is the translation of the Jewish word Yahweh, which is the very name of God. So we can always say Yahweh or Jehovah, sometimes it's pronounced that way, Yahweh, Jehovah, the same name, just pronounced differently. Because in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels, which is Y-H, uh, um, Y-H-J, or yeah, Y-H-W-H, excuse me. And um, so the vowels are provided. Yahweh, Jehovah, the, 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 the uh, w, w can be like a V sound, so it can be that. So it, either way it applies, but what David is doing in here is saying, he is Yahweh, our God. He is Yahweh, our God. 
And the reason we see that so much in the Old Testament this way is because, of course, David, as he's writing this, he has the understanding that there are nations around Israel that are worshiping other gods. He knew, as we know, that there truly are no other gods. As the Lord says, there is no God beside me. He is the only God. He is the one and true living God. But it doesn't mean he's the only God that's worshipped. God is a title. God is a title. There were others that were being worshipped uh, by, by the other nations who were not gods at all. And basically, we, we have to acknowledge that these entities that demanded worship were nothing more than, than demons. Nothing more than demons. Nothing less than demons. You know, Paul, in writing in Timothy, he talks about, you know, the, the um, uh, uh, doctrines of demons that, that is going, going through the false teachers, even within the churches. Doctrines of demons. So demons have a very real interest in diverting our attention away from the one and true living God so that they can accomplish their purposes of leading us to a path of destruction, right? It's a part of the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. And so David, to differentiate from the other gods, calls on Yahweh. He says, this is Yahweh, our God. He personalizes him in that way. He is our God. As I said earlier, the, these these, these verses really focus on the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. And here you see, you see him dealing with the covenant. He remembers his covenant forever, verse 8. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, his oath to Isaac, just different ways of identifying the covenant. And then he confirmed it to, to Jacob uh, as well as to Israel for a statute and a, the everlasting covenant. And this is what he said, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When there were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. Now when we read back in the book of Genesis, in fact last, last week you remember that we, we were looking at Psalm 104 and highlighting that those, uh, those verses were talking about the very first chapters in Genesis, the creation story, right? Here, we, we see David writing about the life of Joseph, the life of, uh, um, later he gets there. He brings up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob here. So in those chapters in Genesis, I mean, it's in, in around the 12th chapter that we meet Abraham, all the way through the rest of Genesis and into Exodus, because he speaks about how he sent Moses to deliver the people. So th those are things that are highlighted in this particular psalm. But here as we look at th these judgments that he made and his faithfulness to, to keep his promises, you know, um, verse 12, I mean, excuse me, uh, very few in number, excuse me, that, that's where we left off. Um, if we look back in Genesis, we see that when uh, Jacob brought 
his family, his children and grandchildren and so forth, into Egypt, there were 75 people. God brings them there. He, had, he brings them there through Joseph being there, having sent Joseph beforehand. And we know how that happened. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, um, and then he keeps them there in Egypt in a place called Goshen, the land of Goshen, or Goshen, I should say, the land of Goshen. And he keeps them there for about 400 years. They grow from a family, a big family of 75 people to a nation of somewhere between 2 to 3 million people in that, that 400-year period of time. And so God did all that purposely for that reason so he could bring a nation into the promised land. And that's exactly what Moses sets out to do. Of course, he doesn't make it there. We don't have time to talk about that, but it is Joshua who actually leads them in. They went from one nation to another, verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, or, or, and 15, I should say. Uh, dealing with um, Abraham and how he went into uh, the, the foreign land posing or asking asking Sarah to pose as his sister rather than his wife because he was afraid and that got him into trouble but God did of course deal with that he protected him by, by speaking to the king and all about who he really was and who Sarah really was and and this was an honorable man the king seemingly more honorable than Abraham at that moment because of his fear fear can make us do funny things things that perhaps we wouldn't normally do we have to be careful of that. But always faith over fear, right? Faith over fear. But that's what he's dealing with there in that, those verses. Then in verse 16 to, to 22. One other thought here before we go there. God is always faithful to keep his promises, right? Whatever promise he has made to you, he will keep. Um, these promises are to Israel for the specific promises he's made to them. He's made other promises to us. But it makes me think about Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. My, my bride's favorite verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Some translations say I know the plans. Uh, this is out of the New King James Version. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, that verse is in the midst there in chapter 29 of a letter that, that Jeremiah the prophet was writing to the people. Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. He's writing to the people who had been taken captive into Babylon. They had been hearing from some false prophets Things like, you know, it's not going to be so bad. We're going to be here a year, maybe two at the most, and then we'll be able to go back. God did not send them. That's not what was his, that wasn't his intention. It was going to be 70 years. And this is what, what Jeremiah says in this letter. Previous to verse 11 and verse 10, he said 70 years. He's basically saying settle in, have houses, make your gardens, 
going to be a while. Make sure that you choose a proper husband for your daughters and, and wife for your sons, all those kinds of things. But I am going to bring you back. After 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. And as he says to them, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. You know, uh, um, and, and then afterward, he speaks about the prophets, those false prophets. I never sent them. But I know the thoughts. I know my thoughts. You don't know my thoughts, but I know my thoughts. And you don't know them until I share them with you. Right? That's always the case. We don't know what he's thinking until he tells us. We don't know what he says until we receive it from him. That's why it's so important for us to be in God's word. So that we can know who, know the things that he is saying. But in this in this very wonderful verse here, verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, as it is in the midst of God revealing his thoughts towards his people and, and this 70-year uh, um, amount, of 70 years being the amount of time they're going to be spending there in Babylon in, that, in their captivity, this was a particular promise to them for that, but it's in the midst of that promise. But this verse tells us reveals his heart. He says, I know my thoughts, and they are thoughts of peace, not evil, give you a future and a hope. See, that reveals his heart toward his people. And that same heart is toward us as his people today. Now, with that heart, he is going to make promises to us, and he is going to be faithful to keep those promises to us, it's going to look different than it did for the Jews at this time than it does for us today. But that's his heart. To give us peace. To give us a future and a hope that's always the case. So I think it's something that, that is important for us to remember even as we look at these fulfillments of promises that God had made for Israel. May look different for us, but the same God with the same heart has made promises to us, and he is just as faithful now as he was then. Amen? Just as faithful now as he was then. So verse 16. Look at these words here, verse 16. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. God in his sovereignty called for the famine. He was the reason that the famine happened. It was his heart, his will, in his sovereignty, and in his plan and purpose for Israel to bring famine upon the land so that the people of Israel would go to Egypt after God had placed Joseph, the, the son of Jacob, there in Egypt to be the Pharaoh's right-hand man in overseeing the uh, uh, storing up of seven good years and then seven years of famine that's going to come face after that. We remember that story. And Joseph was there. And basically, God forced Jacob's hand to come to Egypt 
to seek help so that they would find Joseph and that he would provide for them and provide for them this very fertile land in the south of, of Egypt called Goshen that housed them for 400 years and they thrived. See, that was all God's purpose. But if you look at Joseph, his story, I would encourage you guys to read verses, uh, chapters 37 to 50 in Genesis. That's Joseph's story. It, it takes it, that many chapters, 14 chapters at the end of Genesis. That's Joseph's story. It's always amazed me that that much space in God's word was given to the story of this one man. Obviously very important. Obviously very, very important. But in those 14 chapters, we see his life and all that took place. You know, he was, Jap he was his father's favorite. His brothers knew it. They were jealous. He got this coat of many colors and all. And then, and then they were out and they threw him into this pit. And, and all that they did in faking his death, put animal blood on it and so forth, took it back to their dad, said, your, your favorite son's dead. Ha, ha, ha. No, I mean, they didn't laugh, but you know, harsh they were. They were glad he was gone. They were going to kill him. You know, they just throw him in the pit. And then it so happened that he, the, some traders came by. They, they, they sold him in, into the hands of, of, of the Egyptians, um, the, uh, the house of Potiphar and so forth, and all that happened there, and un, 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 unjustly sent to prison, uh, and, and then the, the gift that he had and, and so forth. And, and it, it was just very unjust toward him. But God had a plan. God had a plan. There are some very painful and seemingly unjust and maybe so really unjust things that can happen to us that God allows in his sovereignty and perhaps even orchestrates in his sovereignty to accomplish a greater purpose. Let's always remember there is something going on around us that is much bigger than us much bigger than you and much bigger than me. Much bigger than me. It's about our God, isn't it? It's about our Lord Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us and what he wants to do for others around us. And as we are faithful to him, he'll use us to be a light in the darkness. We are the light of this world, right? The and, and if we if we have hope and faith in what the Lord is doing, and even when we're going through the most difficult of times, understanding that God is going to do something with this. I'll share with you guys tonight. I I I, I want I want to ask for your prayers. Um, a week from tomorrow morning, uh, Thursday on October fifth, uh, I'm going to be going to Calvary Chapel Downey. Uh, Pastor Jeff Johnson there. Uh, uh, asked me to come to share about my experience the last couple years with my bride. Because there's a, a number of pastors who are older, and, and what he said is that, you know, I, I would like to, you know, help them to be prepared as much as they can be. And, and I, I shared with them, I'll be happy to come. I think one of the things I'm first going to say is I don't know that any of us can actually be fully prepared for something like this. However, I can share with you what I've gone through, you know. Um, but 
you know, um, it's an opportunity to be used by God in the lives of other men who are going to deal with things that I've dealt with. You know, and uh, um, every person who's married, in every marriage, one of those people is going to go through this. That's just the nature of it, isn't it? It's the nature of living in a world that is tainted with sin. You know, scarred by sin. It's just the, the nature of it. You know, and it's not something we like to think about, but sometimes we do. Uh, I remember talking with Jeanette, and I know that every married couple has done this. You know, it's like, you know, we want to go together. You know, we we're praying for the rapture to happen. Well, you know, he hasn't answered yours nor mine for the rapture to come yet. But, you know, we, we, we deal with those things. We talk about those things. But this is real. It's real life. It's real life. You know, and, and it's, it's life in this broken world, this fallen world. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that, the reality of it. You know, with this is what happens in our world today because of sin. Cause me to hate sin more. Cause me to hate the devil more. Cause me to look to heaven more. Cause me to rejoice in where I know my bride is even now. That gives me so much uh, um, help and understanding. You know, it, 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 it gives me strength as I consider that she's in his presence right now. It truly does. And I, we, we're going to be there too sometime in the near future. But I say that because with what I have experienced in the last few years, God's going to be using that. And I don't think just for this one time on, on, on uh, next, next week, I think he's been using it for us as a church. As I've shared with you what's been going on and stuff, you know. And, and, and he uses it. He does. And, and I think that, that we've been deepened. I think we have a greater focus on uh, the eternal than we used to. Grateful for what he grateful for what he's done, and so grateful for the wife that he gave to me for those fifty plus years. Fifty years, you know. Again, those years were, were so wonderful. Just you know, three hard ones. I'll take that deal anytime. I got nothing to complain about. I really don't. I really don't. I'm sad. I am. I miss. I miss her. I miss her at my right hand. You know, I, I miss her, miss her as my wife in every area I do. But I get it. You know, God in his sovereignty has chosen this. He's given me himself, his spirit within me to help me through this. You know what? I'm okay. And I'm going to be okay. And every one of us who has to deal with this, whether we have already or will in the future, it's going to be okay. Because Jesus is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. So we, we have that hope. So I, I, I read this verses, these verses and we see what happened with Joseph and we step back and say, but God had a greater purpose. You know what, though? He's got a greater purpose for you and for me, too. Whatever we're going through, whatever pain we may be feeling, he wants to use that somehow for his glory and for the help of people around us somehow. And so he used Joseph. So verse 23, 
Israel also came into Egypt. We've talked about that. Joseph brought them in. Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. He increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. We talked about that. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Right there we see the very first chapter of Exodus. Exodus opens up with there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, and then he grew jealous because the number of people, grew fearful really, because the number of people had grown so great that he began to really lay it on them heavy with, with, their, uh, with their service to uh, Egypt and so forth. So we, we see the transition from Genesis to Exodus right here in the 25th verse. And then from there, he sent Moses. Here we are in Exodus. God faithful to preserve his people, faithful to help them through Joseph, whom he had foreordained would be there already when they got there, as we talked about. And now he sends Joseph, verse 26. You know, something I want you to, to do is, um, I should have told you this in the very beginning as we began to read. Uh, when I went through this in my Bible, I circled every time I saw the, the word he, referring to God, or his. And I've got to have, I don't know, 25 circles right, right here. Be because it's all about what God has done in his faithfulness. Right? It's all about what he has done in his faithfulness. I, I just love that. And I think we can't lose sight of that here. So verse 26, he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. Now he starts, begins to talk about what they did, performing his signs among them, wonders in the land of Ham. By the way, the land of Ham is the land to the south. You know, when, when after the time of the flood with, with Noah and his three sons, Ham went to the south, Japheth went to the east, and Shem went to the north. So they say the land of Ham. That, that's why that's worded here. He sent darkness and made it dark. So, so he talks about the plagues that he struck Egypt with here in these following verses. We really don't need to, 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 to go through all of them. But we do know that finally he, he struck all the firstborn of the families, all of them, whether they were Egyptian or Israelite, as well as the, 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 the cattle except for those that had celebrated the Passover meal and followed the instructions to put the blood of the, of the, of the lambs on the doorposts, which is representative of, of course, the blood of the lamb on that cross, which causes the angel of death to, fly, to, to just bypass us, even as he did each one of those houses, right? That's what we see there. And then verse 37, after they, they left, he also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribe. The Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. It wasn't quite that easy. We see all these plagues and everything. Then we know, of course, that, that, that the Pharaoh had a change of heart, and he began to chase after them. And, and we see verse 39, he spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light in the day. He actually separated his own people from this, 
the, the army of Pharaoh with that cloud for a period of time. So we see in these verses God's protection, his guidance, as he executed his promises to them. We see his provision as well. And the people asked and he brought quail, satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Whether they needed water or whether they needed food, God was faithful to provide for them while they were in the wilderness. God is our provider, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh. That's his name, one of his names, God our provider. Many of us in this room have gone through some difficult financial times where we wondered if he was going to provide, and you know what? Here we are. He was faithful to provide. He always is. And we may have to give up some things, but we're going to have what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but we'll have what we need. We may have to change our lifestyle a bit, but we'll have what we need. He is faithful. And so I just love the, the way that this goes through all these things that God did and, and, and speaks of his faithfulness. In that, um, in this passage, we did, we did see how um, verse 37, he brought them out with silver and gold. You remember that the people of Egypt, in fact, we have verses 35 and 36 of Exodus 12. I'll just read that. This was as they were getting ready to leave. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. It was like the spoils of war that they left Egypt with, to help sustain them in the coming years. Isn't that amazing? I mean, all the people of Israel had to do in terms of this war, and obviously they served the Egyptians for a number of years. Things got tough, but we, we, they see the Lord going before them with the plagues. They obey him with, with the uh, um, Passover and, it's, and the meal, and, and now they get all this stuff, and they're on their way. You know, it's just amazing what God has done, what God did with that. It's interesting to me, we see them enter into the promised land, and, and, and we see him providing for them with the quail and the, and the bread, opening up the rock and so forth, and they have food and drink. David doesn't even talk about the miracle of crossing the Red Sea and, and, and the destruction of Pharaoh's army. doesn't even mention those things. So much he could have said, so much more he could have said, but he didn't. He just stopped right there on this particular psalm. There's others that, that, that they are, of course, included. And there was 42 to 45. See, we got through all, we're getting through all 45 verses here. 42 to 45, you know, um, let me just go ahead and read those, uh, those four verses. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. 
He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. And we do actually see them in verse 44 in the promised land, and verse 45, uh, um, in the promised land, uh, lands that were developed by others, inheriting the labor of the nations, cities that were already built and so forth, as we see in, in, in the book of uh, Joshua. And, and we see that taking place. But we might ask a question, you know, why is it that God did this? Well, of course, he wanted to show his faithfulness, but he wanted to show his love for his people. You know, um, but he's faithful. He's faithful to keep his promise. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. Because he remembered Abraham, the promise that he made, that all this took place. Over to somewhere around 700 years between Abraham and Joshua. All these things he did. And so we have to come away from this with the truth that God is faithful. He brought out his people, verse 43, with joy, with cho his chosen ones, with gladness. That brings to mind Isaiah chapter 51. Verses 10 and 11. Are you not the one who dried up the sea? Now this is uh, Isaiah writing as, as he's asking God. Are you not the one who dried up the sea? The waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return. Now this is in Isaiah's time, 700 B.C., 300 years after David, some 600 years probably to, to 700 years after Joshua, 800 years, seven to 800 years after, after Moses. So in the same way that he did that then, he says, so the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Those, sound, those words sound familiar? Not just simply from a reading of Isaiah, but a song that we used to sing. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. But taken from this passage. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Beautiful, beautiful verses about not only the joy and the gladness that occurred then, but the joy and gladness that would occur when they return to the land and the joy and gladness that we will have as we enter into the joy of our Lord. As he's promised us we will because we've placed our faith in Jesus. Now, I also really enjoy the verses that follow there in Isaiah. I want to close with these verses, verses 12 to 16 in Isaiah Chapter 51. I, even I, am he who comforts you. 
Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? And of the son of a man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? In other words, God has protected us from it. The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name and I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. It's beautiful. Who am I and who are you to say that we're afraid? Why? When our God is who he is, he says that you forget the Lord, your maker. And guys, we can get amnesia. Forget who God is, the one whom we serve, the one who who has called us to himself, the one who's provided salvation for us. We are his people. And we can forget who we are in him. We can forget that as we have him in us, the Holy Spirit in us and upon us, the the, the blessing that that brings, the the joy, I mean, the, the fruit of God's spirit, the protection that we have, that we have, all that we have because he is our God, we are his people. We forget. Let's stop forgetting. One of the things that we're going to do right now is we're going to celebrate communion in remembering what he has done for us. Remembering the life that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Remembering the life that we have because he, in obedience to his Father, went to the cross. And out of love for us, remain there. That we would receive life from him. Ladies, if you could come on up and prepare to, to, to sing the next song. Laura and the ladies are going to be singing a, a communion song. And I just want to encourage you, remembering that he has saved us and and. We might take note of this last verse in this psalm that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. And he has saved us for the purpose of our own, not only salvation, but our sanctification, being made holy and living holy lives. And and a part of that is obedience to remember, to celebrate, to partake. So we're going to have a song now. Then we'll celebrate communion. I'll read the scriptures from Second Corinthians, or excuse me, First Corinthians 11, and then we'll go ahead and celebrate. But let's go ahead and worship the Lord now. <laughs>